Hi, and welcome to another episode of Fashion Talks, the podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion. And I'm your host, Donna Bishop. And today is another designer spotlight episode, which I love. I love hearing the stories of the beautiful people who design the beautiful labels that we get to wear all the time. And I'm thrilled to have two of the three siblings that make up the label Triarchy here today, Anya and Adam Tobenflagel. Welcome. Hello. So glad to have you guys here. Brother Mark is in abstentia, uh, maybe building a custom motorbike from what I understand. Uh, Triarchy is definitely on a high right now, having just recently won the CAFA Award for Fashion Impact of the Year, as well as the first H&M Sustainability Award at the recent CAFA Awards. And the Atelier Show at Toronto Fashion Week this past winter was a huge hit. It was one of my favorites from from the whole week. It was amazing. Um, But before we talk about Triarchy... We're here to talk about you guys. So first, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you you so much for being here. Um, Let's start at the beginning. Where were you guys born? And can you tell a little bit about like your family makeup? What kind of life did you guys have growing up? I was born in Toronto, but I grew up in Vancouver. So I do identify as a West Coaster, but Toronto's where my life started. So Passport identifies Toronto. Yes, it does. Life feels like Vancouver. I was born and raised in Vancouver, so I'm a full West Coaster. So but are you I'm now older, Adam? Toronto. I am older. I'm the middle. Mark's the oldest. Anya's the youngest. I'm the baby. Got it. <laughs> and what was life like growing up in Vancouver? Vancouver, were you guys typical West Coasters who enjoyed a lot of outdoor living, or what was what was early life like? I think there? my brother was always on a motorbike. My sister was always on a horse. I don't know what yeah. he was doing, but he was supervising. supervising. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I grew up horseback riding. That was pretty much my pastime when I was younger. That's all I did. And did you start that when you were like? Pre-high school, like quite young? I started riding when I was two. Wow. So yes, pre-high school. (laughs) Amazing. And what about you, Adam? What were some of the like... I think I always had a camera in my hand. I always wanted to do film. So as far as I can remember, I was always making short films when I was younger. And and this was in the days pre-digital, so I don't have any of them because they would have been hard copy tapes or something. I would love to find that box and see what those look like now. No kidding. Um, very cool. And what was high school like for you guys? Um, Did you go to the same high school? We didn't go to the no. same high school. And I actually went to two different high schools. I went to Sentinel for grades 7, 8, 9 and West Van High for 10, 11, 12, because that's what my brother did. So I just followed suit. As the eldest, they lead the pack yeah. sometimes. And what about you, Anya? Um, I went to Collingwood. That was a separate high school. And um, uh, I was picked on in high school. Uh, but that was okay because I was really focused on horseback riding the whole time. So the moment three o'clock came, I was in jeans and heading to a stable. <laughs> and you were competitive? Yes. I uh, I competitively rode until I was about 18. And then um, due to injuries and just the intensity of the sport, I had to make the call to sort of take a step back. And what was fashion like for you guys in high school? Like I think high school is a time when many of us often start to find our like style legs and start to become, you know, aware of clothes as a way to express ourselves. Is that something that resonated with you, Adam? A hundred percent. I went to a Catholic elementary school, which required me to wear a uniform, which I hated. Um, So I think when I got to high school, it was really nice to be able to find that 
self-expression. And I remember, like, my style was always very weird, I think, <laughs> um, because I didn't dress like anyone else that, that I went to school with. And funnily enough, I just, they Nike just re-released the 1997 the Air Max, I think. Yeah, and yeah. So I just bought that, and that was like my prized possession shoe when I was in grade ten. And I have <laughs> awesome, it and now. it's back. And it's back. <laughs> I love it. What about you, Anya? Um, I went. So the elementary school I went to was actually public, and we could wear whatever we wanted. And I pretty much wore overalls all the time because I was going through growth spurts. So my mom thought it was easier to just lengthen the straps as I got older. There is a certain practicality to that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and then the high school I went to actually had uniforms, so I had to wear a kilt and a tie or a polo shirt kind of thing. And I liked it just because it, it was very easy. I didn't have to think about what I had to wear every day. But after a while, it, it definitely got boring. Well, it's funny <laughs> because I say that I hated wearing uniforms, but now I wear blue jeans and a black T-shirt every single day. So maybe that did rub off on me in a positive way. There is a certain... You know, you just got to find simplicity. Well, it totally right, which is something we can riff about again in a little while. But do you think the the experience like when people wear a uniform, I think they and I wore a uniform in high school as well. Burgundy and gray. I just cannot wear ever again. (laughs) Corduroy pants were mine and I can't go near corduroy. Yeah, yeah. It, because it was seven years every day. It's like you tap out <laughs> it's enough. of a certain yeah. like. It's like when you fabric. eat too much of a certain ty- type of food. Exactly. Except sushi. Except <laughs> the man from Vancouver where sushi is amazing. Um, but I think you either swing one way or the other, where you think it is like freeing because you don't need to think about it, and that allows you to focus on other things, or you can feel really restricted yeah. mm. by the uniform experience. Yeah. And, I don't. Did your school have dress down days? Because those were always we had civvies day intensity days. Yeah. Civvies day school. was uh, uh, the first Friday of every month or something, and you planned that outfit like a month in advance. That was a big day, hundred percent. Yeah, you couldn't mess that day up. No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> and while you were, you know, in those early days of high school, is that where you guys started to become aware of of fashion as well? Like, I think everyone who works in this industry kind of has a moment where fashion was kind of a light bulb or it, you realized it had some power or um, influence in a positive way for you. Do you have a moment like that, Adam? Very much so. Um, When I was younger, my parents would often go to galas in Vancouver, and I think they would, um, well, I don't think, they would, uh, my mom was a big fan of Versace, and so she would go shopping with my father, and they would always bring me back the Versace catalogs. Awesome. Which are incredible and over-the-top and homoerotic to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. And as a young gay boy who didn't really know who I was or what that world was like to get those catalogs and to see homosexuality displayed in that way, in like a normal way of like, this is fashion, this is okay, this is... It It showed me my first glimpse <clears throat> into who I was and what my that there were people like me. So I have this really strong correlation between the Versace brand and, I don't know, coming out or knowing that it was okay to be gay and getting that from my mom <clears throat> and... That's so cool. And then seeing her in these ridiculously incredible gowns was like, well, this is all the most amazing thing I've ever seen. So, Well, and Versace was so, so proud so of proud. who he oh, was, yeah. right? Like, what a wonderful kind of entry point into into being gay, into being in fashion, into all those things, right? I received um, later in life, I got a copy of South Beach Stories with a card signed from Gianni Versace and that 
is that sits on my desk and it's my prized possession. I look at it every day. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. What about you, Anya? Uh, in all honesty, if it wasn't for my mother and brother, I'd probably still be in those overalls. Um, <laughs> uh, the, I would say my mother was a huge uh, inspiration when it came to fashion because every time she would be getting dressed up, she would ask my brother and I to come in and help her put her outfit together. And so that's kind of, I think, where my styling originally sort of came from and how I learned everything was looking at what she was putting on and then going like, no, actually try this one or try this one. Or, and she would play dress up with us in a sense. I have this new appreciation for the intimacy of watching your mother get dressed as it relates to being in the fashion industry. Totally. Like, oh, yeah. Like I have memories like that. And my mom, who I love desperately, was not a fashionista by any means. But I certainly remember like the gold velour, like dressy jumpsuits that totally. she would wear awesome. and now my daughter you know comes and likes to hang out with me while I get dressed it's so, so special it's such a special place to bond with a child and oh, you know absolutely. before um coming out to Toronto for the CAFA awards my mom asked me to come up and to come into her room so she could try on a few things that she wanted to wear to the gala and it really brought me back to those early days of like sitting on her bed and watching her try on these dresses and which shoes and blah blah blah, I was like obviously those shoes not. Those shoes. <laughs> and yeah. and, and my mom would always help me like definitely if I had something to go out to, and I would put something together she'd always help me like oh maybe not that or my favorite comment was oh is that what you're wearing today yeah. <laughs> I'm like um, I guess Clearly not, not. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's not what I'm wearing today <laughs> which is what I said to her when she was trying something yeah and <laughs> the circle continues yeah. I'm like, okay, I know what that means. <laughs> so we've gone through high school in the West. What did you do after high school? Did you guys go to design school? Did you go to university? Where did life take you after after high school? I went to UBC. I studied film production. Um, it's what I always wanted to do. So yeah, I went to University of British Columbia, took film. I was on that path from an early age. And then never did film. And then never did film. <laughs> but film opened up. But film opened up, yeah, of course. That's how you got into your factory and everything. It's true. What did you take on, Yak? What did um, you do I took art history. I, uh, I've, always, I've, been, I've always loved art history. Um, my, whenever our parents were both from Poland, and whenever we would go to Europe, my mom would always uh, take us to churches uh, to look at all the artwork. She's like, if you don't want to wait in line at a museum, you go to whatever church is in the respective city you're in. She is very smart. Yeah. So I just remember being little and going into all these churches and seeing paintings and I just fell in love with art history. But then when I looked at the avenues of work in art history, I found it to be a little little boring. So I didn't do anything with it. Uh, (laughs) um, And after um, that, I actually, I worked in the restaurant industry in Vancouver for a bit and then I went to LA to model. And uh, I was doing part-time modeling, actually, from, like, age, I want to say 15, Mm -hmm. up until I was 22. Yeah. So So a bit of an – you you have, like, an industry kind of hook that was a bit of – I would say everything – like, I I learned a lot from modeling. Like, um, I mean, whenever you go to a photo shoot, you just pick up on how to put a photo shoot together, how to style, how what the team you need. You learn about everything you need to kind of make those images that you see – on magazines, billboards, etc. So that di- I learned a lot. I definitely learned a lot. Now, Adam, you were just saying, and and Aranya alluded to the fact that it was through film that you kind of ended up 
in fashion a little bit. What was that? What was that journey? Um, it was actually right out of UBC. The I was working for a production company that was filming an event in Vancouver that happened to be a fashion event. Yeah, right. That was um, a lot of international designers and brands were there. Just and there was one group from Italy who um, had asked me and my partner if we could help them find someone to be their North American brand liaison for the licensed brands that they had from Italy. So they basically had denim factories and they had licensed brands. And so I kind of thought about it and said, well, instead of me finding you someone, I love Italy and I speak English, so why don't I do it? So we basically, um, me and my business partner, spent the better part of the next two years working with them and kind of um, basically being the people that spoke English. We would go to the trade shows in Vegas and do all of those things with them. And then after a while, I just started noticing that they were paying all of these license fees for brands that they had to get the recognition of. And I was like, well, you own the factories. Why don't you start your own brand? You don't have to pay the licensing fees. And then you kind of get to save that money. And, you know, and so they asked me to go and find them a designer. And I went to Paris instead, taught myself how to use Illustrator, designed them a collection, and then brought it back and thought, I'm going to lay this out, and they're either, either going to laugh at me or they're going to buy it. And they bought it, which was amazing. And so then I started designing that label for them. And we brought it to market in 2008 when the economy collapsed, and they had to close all their factories because all of the production left Italy. Yeah. Um, but that was kind of the moment where I had realized, <clears throat> you know, I had just put all this time into learning how to make denim on the factory floor, which I think is the most incredible education I could have ever had. Um, in the most amazing town in Italy with the most amazing people, it was and it the was Buffalo incredible. Mozzarella. And the Buffalo mozzarella. Oh. <laughs> and actually, honey. I um, had just quit modeling in L.A. And they... Uh, we needed a fit model, so I recommended my sister, and they flew her out. And Italians so loved to She got to come. Family. Yeah, it was such a family thing. It was incredible. And so that was... When that all fell apart, though, I basically got to take all the samples back. And that's when I sat down with Mark and Anya and said, you know, I've just put a couple years into this. Why don't we, we start, our do? brand, like, start our own brand? So yeah. that's the moment where the, kind the, of the, the seed of triarchy started. That's how Adam yeah. and I started working together, actually, was when... Was when, in Italy. In Italy. Yeah. One of the things that I'm so struck by by this story is it's it's like the apprenticeship model. Like, yeah, in, a, in a way, yeah. you know, like, way, you, you yeah. learned by by doing. Mm. Like, Very and, much so. and it's such a it's such a stream that I think we've lost a little bit or, totally. you know, maybe not this, we don't value it the same way, but it's such a practical and invaluable way to oh, yeah. get a real education in the business. Yeah. And it sounds like it's been for both of you, like with the modeling and with working with your with the the denim companies initially, it's the foundation that has allowed you to build this amazing company. Yeah. Because yeah. there were there was no classroom. We were just thrown into it and you got to pick it up quickly. And we didn't speak Italian, which no. was I mean towards <laughs> the end I could have a really bad conversation in Italian. I should have hung on to that, but I could order buffalo mozzarella really well and truffle honey. <laughs> These are very important elements of speaking in, in Italy. Um, so triarchy is that you've sat down at the table, you've have you know denim is clearly in both your bloods. What you have this love affair with denim? What is it about denim that that fills you guys up so much? I just you know 
name me another fabric that is as versatile that you can achieve so many different levels of color that can be worn by everybody it's i really do have i have indigo in my blood it's and pump blood Blood, let's blue. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, um, I guess that stems from my passion with art history as well. I love the history of the material. I think it is so fascinating. Um, it's the mo- one of the most durable materials. It's when you look at, you know, I, I always use this reference because everybody knows it, but like the gold rush, like that denim was in the heart of that movement. And like, I think that's amazing. And then the evolution of it with... Uh, celebrities and Hollywood and how it became this like it became such a culture denim itself and um, yeah no matter where you are in the world I love taking a moment and I'll look around at the people around me everywhere and yeah every person it doesn't matter what you do or who you are or how much money you have how old you are that's what I mean like your body type everybody has a pair of jeans and I think that's awesome it's almost like it's the it's the most democratic 100%. 100%. Oh, absolutely. Uh, a piece of clothing, right? Yeah. Second only maybe to, I don't know, underwear and a white t-shirt. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Like, literally, like, I... But I would think, you know, I've been doing this for 10 years now, which is crazy to say aloud, and I just, I never get sick of looking at jeans, which must mean something. Yeah. Truly, you know, right? must mean something. <laughs> well, that I just, like, day in, day and no out, matter, like, no, I'm still good with this. And all, uh, most, like, stores that carry denim, when you go in there, they still have that wall of blue, blue jeans. Like it hasn't changed. There's still like, it's like no matter just what humanity. Yeah, it's yeah. Dumb. And I love that. Like everybody, everybody has a pair of jeans. I worked retail at university, and it was all about like the fold, and then you know the smoothing of the edge on the denim wall. So oh, you yeah. got those like symmetrical kind of like denim bricks going down. When I go into stores to see, you know, what are they stocking and what are they doing and blah blah blah, I find that I will be like straightening out. The rows of denim. <laughs> you can take the kids there. out of retail, but you can't take the retail <laughs> out of the kids. Make it look nice. But I am happy that the rise for women has come up a bit since the early 90s. Because it got a little low there. Yeah, I feel you. <laughs> I feel you. Um, let's get back to, you know, I'm envisioning, you know, the two of you and Mark kind of sitting around the table saying, let's start something together how do how do we fought a little in that yeah it was like it was my brother was building custom motorbikes that's just what he just has that mind he would come home in high school on a friday with crates of junk from the junkyard and by sunday afternoon he would be riding a motorbike up and down the street that's amazing that's just he just he would always he would build robots out of cell phones like spiders that could walk he just has that incredible mind and we were playing with sticks i don't know (laughs) (laughs) but yeah and so you know to come back from italy with denim and see my brother with motorbikes and my sister with horses it was like well this is a no-brainer like this is what this is so and then because mark's mind is so technical it was like okay well you need to handle the books and the business because and he, I do he that, just got his business be degree in too. trouble mm-hmm. and so he did that and the design always came naturally to me like when I look through my old high school notebooks where I should have been writing down whatever the teacher was saying <laughs> it was either fashion or architecture that it's I was true drawing. Truly, like I never took a. I remember that, like yesterday, there would always be outfits and buildings. Always outfits and buildings, and then my sister was modeling and riding horses. So I'm like, yo, we don't have to hire a model. We don't have to hire a photographer because I can do that. 
and I still shoot most of our campaigns myself. Oh, that's cool. And so, and then I knew how to produce runway shows. It was like, well, this is great. Let's just do this and see see what happens. There was definitely learning that had to happen in between all that. It still is exactly, but Every it's day. we just we decided to just take it on. And I think that's I think that's a big thing is a lot of people when they look at something they get a little intimidated and they don't think they can take it on because there's a person for every job out there but like it's the internet is a great resource you can really like teach yourself to do just about anything but a big part of learning was learning when to say I can't do this yes and that was the thing for me yeah, that, that was, was rooted huge. in pride I think where it was like I can do everything I'm going to do it I'm going to do it I'm going to do it and then I started noticing after a while like we're really not moving where we should be no. moving to. And that was actually because we weren't asking for help. We were just saying, no, we can do it. We can do it. We can do it. And so we were taking on too much. Yeah. At, and once you reach a certain point, it just. Then when you start actually being like, actually, this person is really good at that. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask them to come on board and do this part and then this part. But it's definitely about finding the right team. Mm hmm. Always. And, and I think as an entrepreneur, you balance that kind of innate boldness chutzpah of I can totally do it which is so important yeah. but eventually go you go too far and then you need to say okay things are falling through the cracks because well and I found we just started stretching ourselves too thin and we started losing like we weren't doing things to the capacity that we could have been if we brought in the right people which is what we did now well, you stop doing what you do best exactly yeah. which is what you should be doing yeah. what was triarchy's first collection <laughs> we try not to talk Why about Why are you that. asking? Okay, maybe the that. second question. The second <laughs> collection. Actually, we often reflect on our first collection. <laughs> and we love it. Um, <laughs> I, Call it Vintage Triarchy. Well, no, it's in at, the archive. At the time, it was, it was amazing. You know, yeah. we, at the time, we had managed to to find a manufacturer we liked and to get, you know, cause it's not easy to get fabrics cause you're not hitting minimums. And there's just, yeah, when you're small. starting, there's so many, there's so many barriers to actually being able to do it we because had no you idea. can't get things to do it because there's so many minimums and people don't want to cut that small numbers and all. And this was kind of right at the time as the industry was changing. Like now when you go to a denim factory, like they're a lot more realistic about numbers cause it's 2018 and they, it's, it's a different world. But back then it was the time when people were used to cutting 5,000 units minimum. Like, that's just what wow. brands were doing. Like, And so when we went going like, oh, we'd like to cut 100 of this and, and under the, the, can you please get out of my office? <laughs> yeah. so, Why are you wasting my time? Whereas now, people are like, we'll cut 50. I don't care. So it's... Because there's so many bespoke brands coming out. It's it's all about, it's quality, it's not quantity, time. right? That's cool that it's the it's the companies that are influencing manufacturing totally. trends, as so Absolutely. often it's been the other way around. No, it's right? changed. Now, I know from, from talking to you guys and stuff that the film The True Cost had an enormous impact on, on you personally and, and on the brand. For people who haven't seen this really important doc, mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit about, about the movie and, and what influence it had on you guys? I, I would say that was, that was the turning point for us. We, were, um, we weren't manufacturing uh, our jeans on a, fast on a fast fashion scale by any means, but we were, def we were just manufacturing on a normal but I remember whenever we sense. would go to the laundry, yeah, that we would sense. always kind of look at each other like, what the hell? What is going on here? Because like L.A. was in a drought at that and time. And there's too. so much water being dumped and dumped and dumped. But it, it now, kind I assume of, you don't mean the laundromat. Like, is the laundry no, like the part denim of laundry, like the, the, okay. like the where they all get washed. And you know, to, to make jeans lighter blue requires water and stone. 
the gotcha. lighter you want to get, the okay. more water you have to use, basically. Um, and, and L.A. So, was in a severe drought. And there's just water gushing and gushing and gushing. And then kind of – And then after our show at Toronto Fashion Week, we somehow – I think that weekend watched the documentary and we just went like, no, this is – the world doesn't need another denim brand. So if we're just doing this to be like, us too, then it's not – like, what are we doing? So that's when we just started having the conversation of how are we going to – And the true cost better. made us start asking questions. And I always say that's the biggest thing for anybody, whether you're a consumer or a designer or a manufacturer, you just keep asking questions like, why is this like this? Where is it coming from? How is it being made? Who's making it? And when we started asking those questions and looking at this, like, we had no idea what went into making a pair of jeans and when we found out it was like oh my god what are some of the what are some of the stats that really shocked you or that you think people should know like if they're listening and they're like what are you talking about like a hundred percent cotton jeans from the beginning to when they land on a shelf will use approximately 2900 gallons of water so that's 10,977 one liter water bottles for a visual wow that's one pair one of pair jeans. You know, and so and when we learned that, I was like, it, it's hard to even, fathom. It's like hard to you fathom. need those visuals, those of, visuals so yeah. that you can really kind of. And the thing is, people don't know this. We didn't like we didn't when even I, know when we were writing the speech um, that we would have said at CAFA, which we did get to say um, when I because I wanted to use a visual that would be relevant for that evening. So I broke it down to water glasses and forty six thousand four hundred glasses of water. That kind of blew my mind because I never brought it down to that small of a unit. But when you think about just drinking a glass of water and then multiplying that by 46,000, it's like this is ridiculous. That's crazy. And not only that, like there's obviously a better way to be doing this. Which is And that's kind of what we came down to. We're like, listen, we're either the type of people that can, you know, turn a blind eye and pretend we don't know this and didn't see it and ignorance is bliss or we, you know, you can't. Champion it. Yeah, we couldn't ignore and it. then uh, and then we I stumbled upon the film River Blue oh, and I yeah. reached Which out to their incredible. info line and since then I've hosted screenings for them and I'm really good for like they're the most amazing people and yeah. that that film is if the true cost blew your mind River Blue will just it that movie really like I it's amazing every, I've watched it more than once and every time I watch it I'm still just like I cannot believe we've let it get this far yeah like we'll as put a links collective. on the fashion talks website to where you can watch yeah. both those yeah. films so people because they're so they're mind opening they're mind blowing there there aren't there almost aren't words strong no. enough to really communicate like how you don't know what you don't know if you haven't seen exactly films. Yeah. and that's why i always say like it's it's i don't blame the consumer because they don't know like and we didn't know either but now that that knowledge is starting to get out there it's definitely a conversation that has to keep happening. I want to get back to that, how the conversation is getting out there in a second. But just before we do that, so what is what is the triarchy process? Like now, once your eyes were opened, what were some of the changes you made in terms of your own your own production? Well, I think, you know, we realized that we had to make denim sustainably. So triarchy jeans, we had to find fabrics that were being produced sustainably we had to cut and sew and wash them sustainably we had to use recycled metal for the buttons we had to find a way to use recycled materials for the labels we use recycled leather for our leather labels that was sort of the the whole project but the exciting part for me was during that process that's when I you know was going through 
vintage denim to find wash standards and the fa- the the warehouses in Los Angeles that that supply brands with vintage denim it's unbelievable the volume Seriously. of like vintage denim fields. that it's like I always like to say it's the scene in Indiana Jones when they're putting the ark away at the end yeah. and then they like zoom out on this massive warehouse it's kind of like that it's, and it really is it's like huge that. he's like the third time he in this conversation me. my jaws hit the floor oh yeah. no he's taken me there and i'm just like i don't even know where to begin like there's so many there piles is so of much clothing there is it's so insane. much and denim takes one corner then there's t-shirts then there's sweatshirts oh, then there's, there's leather so jackets much. then there's and this is just I one found warehouse a suede jacket in the place where we get our denim for atelier it blew my mind and it's just like rolled up in a corner and so but anyway we i'm looking through all these piles of denim going this is exactly the color and the look that i want for the stuff we're making and i'm like but look at all of this that exists why don't we just cut this up and then was born the Atelier line. And that's that this jacket. Made entirely out of vintage denim. And it's so beautiful because you get all these color blocking highs and lows and there's no water used. It reminds me of the beautiful effect you can get when um, artists use pencil crayons. Mm-hmm. And you get that totally. really soft totally. kind yeah. of uniform Absolutely. effect. Like it's beautiful. Again, we'll put photos up on the website so people can see what we're talking about. And then, so... Half of the denim we use for Atelier looks like this. It's great. But then you go through a lot that kind of has stains or rips. And I was like, well, that's so wasteful, too. But then there's a laundry in Los Angeles that we work with to do a sustainable bleach using ozone. So this looked exactly like this. I guess this is there's no visual. But for well, you, well Lindsay's taking photos. We'll put the photos up. Um, Adam's so, flashing his very cool, very pale jean jacket. Yeah, yeah, so we just put that in the ozone, and it take we put that in the ozone, and it takes all the pigment out, and it's amazing. That's so, so sustainable cool. bleaching, no no chemicals, nothing. That's amazing, and I was just saying we were going to get back. Oh yes, so Anya, we were talking about how the conversation around sustainability. Is it changing? Have you noticed a difference since when you guys kind of made this turn in your business? I feel feel probably when we started this, I was still kind of defending the decision to go sustainable or trying to explain why. Whereas now um, it's becoming more and more that I'll mention it and people will be like, oh my God, I heard about this. And I'm like, amazing. I don't have to give you a background story. Yeah. It's becoming more mainstream and it's becoming... You know, it's still a little, it's still moving a little slow, in my opinion, but at least it's moving. And I think as the months progress, it's just going to pick up more and more. It's a matter of time. You know, I always enjoy the expression, you can't turn a cruise ship on a dime. And Hmm. God knows the fashion industry is a massive cruise ship. I mean, the denim industry in particular, which to your guys' point has been around for, you know, decades and decades. So the fact that you are helping pivot the tide... And people are kind of saying, oh, yeah, no, I totally get that. Like, and you don't have to go into that, like, defense of your position. Exactly. That must be so invigorating. It like, is. It's beyond invigorating. I mean, to be recognized at the Canadian Arts and Fashion Awards for what, we, what we're so passionate about on that stage and on that level. I mean, that, to your point. And you that's know. another thing that I always say is like I'm I'm excited that we get to use denim as a vehicle for this message because it's again like as I mentioned before everybody has denim everybody can it's you relatable. can bring it up and people will be like I can relate to that like not everybody will relate to a gown or a but when you bring up a pair of jeans it's you know everyone can can definitely relate and do you feel like because because of that because denim is so 
universal, like literally, it's yeah. globally universal. Do you feel it's a gateway to talk about sustainability in a broader sense as well, other than totally. just absolutely? Because I don't, I feel fashion? like it doesn't alienate anybody. Like everybody can relate to a pair of jeans, whether they're like ripped up and you know distressed, or whether they're just plain, or no matter what. Like there's a pair in your closet. But to sustainability as a whole, I find myself talking as much about plastic straws as I do about water and denim. That's kind of like, you know. Was sustainability part of your your life growing up? Like were you, was that something that was always kind of just a part of you or was it literally like a combination of maybe a little bit of that and watching? I would say films? it was always a part of me in relation to garbage and recycling. Mm -hmm. I think when you I never up, thought about it with fashion. No, but when you grow up in Vancouver, it's so clean and yeah. beautiful yeah. and like I think no one litters of... kind of thing. So for, in that respect, I was aware, but I never I didn't know what went into fast fashion because I don't know why you don't think about it for whatever reason. And I I'm the first to admit it. I would shop at Forever 21 all the time when I was younger. And I don't know why you, I never thought about it. And I'm sure a lot of people don't. You grab a T-shirt that's five dollars that comes from Bangladesh. You're like, what a deal. But you don't think about like, wait a minute. Who else's hands have touched like, this? This is five dollars and it's coming from across the world. Like that doesn't add up in itself, let alone like who made this and how are they getting paid? And the but moment you creepy. start that thought process, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. You make such a good point that I think we we grew up thinking of recycling as it relates to trash yeah. and making the the connecting the dots that it's beyond trash that it's about what we buy and how it's oh, yeah. made is is a leap that I think people are kind of just starting and even they're hit. doing it with cars right they're trying to make cars more sustainable and environmentally friendly like and now fashion is kind of coming up behind that like well I just, if you look at fast food and organic food exactly. fast fashion slow fashion I think it's following in those footsteps 100% and the notion of waste right like like, what you're putting in your body what you're putting on your body it's kind of the same thing you should yeah. give it the same attention and so has has this pivot with Triarchy where you, you made this like amazing move to be more sustainable, did it change you guys a little bit in terms of how you live yeah, your lives very as well? Much. Huge. I will drive around with cans or cups in my car until I find recycling. I don't use the garbage for that sort of thing. I rarely, I'll wash clothes once a week in cold water, hang them to dry. I, I don't use my dishwasher. It's a drying rack. That kind of thing. Along with those points that Adam said, I found become I found making this move within our brand has given me internal confidence as well, just on a personal level, which I didn't expect at all. Um, I found beforehand I was when I was shopping at all these stores that would come out with a new collection every week because they have 52 seasons. Uh, I literally was I was wearing everything and you didn't even know your own style. Whereas now, it, like, believe it or not, sustainability helped me find like it grounded me. It helped me find my style, my confidence. And I'm really proud of what I wear. Like I'm, I wear, I kind of have a similar, I don't have a lot of clothing, but the stuff I have, I love and I'm so proud of it and I love to talk about it. And it's, it, yeah, it just, I don't know, it's changed me as a person. It made, made me really confident. I love, like, I'm getting goosebumps because it's like from, from a humble pair of jeans, mm -hmm. can we like change minds and change the world? Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Totally. It's totally inspiring. Yeah. What's next for Triarchy? Sleep. 
Sleep. <laughs> well, as you may have noticed, I did get my voice back, yeah. which is great because I didn't have that um, earlier this week. Um, but sleep sounds nice. Yeah. And you're off to and Copenhagen. And then we're off to Copenhagen for the um, Sustainable Fashion Summit, which is amazing. And that's, I think, in less than a month. Well, for um, me, though, a big one. I mean, from here on, it's just my thing is continuing to get that conversation out there. Just like the CAFA and the awards was a stepping stone and it gave us an incredible platform. And I want to bounce off that like a trampoline. I've never been, yeah. never been prouder. Yeah. And I'm sure, I know I, you know, am sitting here going, I need to get myself a pair of triarchy jeans. And I'm sure I'm not alone as people are listening to this. So well, this are you, are you online? Well, like, yeah, where do are. people, where do people buy you? Where can we find you? <laughs> We're online at triarchy.com, but then also, um, uh, next month we're going to be doing a triarchy pop-up in Holt Renfrew on Bloor. Oh, so Torontonians. Get ready. Get ready. Get May ready. and June 2018. Come down to Holt Renfrew. I love what, what Holt Renfrew does with the H Project, and they've been incredible, and we love them. So I'm really excited to be launching at retail with them in Canada. And then we're going to be doing a pop-up at the um, at the Calgary location in June. Amazing. And in the States, pop-ups are online in the States? We're online and we're in a few stores in Los Angeles and we have um, our first trade shows and sales reps this summer and fall. So so exciting. The growth is coming. I think what was an interesting move was when we decided to rebrand into sustainability, we gave ourselves like a little six-month window and we didn't realize that we were actually like creating an entirely new brand. Yeah. It wasn't just like a, we're going to switch some products around. It was... It was a total... Basically, the day the Triarchy Atelier Denim landed is when I sort of look at it as a new launch for everything. Yeah, Which so. is so beautiful, yeah. can I tell you. Like, Thank I you. love what you've done with Atelier Denim as well. It's just so unique and cool and stunning. And it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. That was definitely the genius of my brother, having spent way too long in hot warehouses. Filled Do you know what's so fun denim. about Atelier, though? <laughs> it's like... You have to take something apart before you can make something new, whereas to traditionally you pick the fabric, you cut so, and but this is like I have to look at something, we have to deconstruct it, and then you make it into something new, and you it's just like it. it's just so. Which makes total sense with like your sketchbooks from high school of architecture yeah. and fashion. Like it's all like I hear this theme it's of building. structure. Yeah. It's about structure, building, yeah. right? It's structure and restructuring and. I just think I love when the dots get connected yeah. that way, right? Mm. We all just kept following what we were passionate about and not realizing where it was taking us, I guess. Yeah. It's like walking on a foggy beach. <laughs> <laughs> As the heat of the L.A. sun lifts the fog off the, the fog beach. has lifted. Yeah. yeah. Adam and Anya, thank you so, so much for the conversation today. I, I am a huge fan of the brand and so excited for, for the journey that you guys have been on. Thank you so much. Where can people follow you on social or if they want to find out more and continue to follow the Triarchy story, where should they yeah. go? We're on Instagram, at Triarchy. I'm personally at Adam Triarchy. And I'm at Anya Triarchy. Amazing. And we'll see um, images on the Triarchy page of Fashion Talk so that you can follow along as you're listening to this and see some of the images of the stuff that we've talked about today. You can follow me at This Is Donna B. And the platform of choice for the podcast is Instagram with at Fashion Talks Podcast. 
Fashion Talks is produced in partnership with CAFA, the Canadian Arts and Fashion Awards, and you can find out more about CAFA, which just celebrated its fifth anniversary at CAFA Awards, that's C-A-F-A-W-A-R-D-S. Thanks to our wonderful sound engineer, Paolo Fugiwelli, and we're joined today by Shannon Cavello, our production coordinator. Thank you so much to you who are listening. If you enjoyed the episode today, please tell people about it. We love hearing from our listeners and getting the words out there. And if you can rate us and review us and subscribe on iTunes and the podcatcher of your choice, it really helps and it's so appreciated. Until next time, this is Donna Bishop at Fashion Talks.